0: Thank you musicians. I love that song. We first, I first heard that song at Vacation Bible School, but not as a, a child going to Vacation Bible School, but as an adult working in Vacation Bible School. And if you are not familiar with Vacation Bible School, it's an annual uh, tradition here that we do every summer, and Kathleen and Dave do an amazing job. So If you have a child or know of a child uh, that you want to to be exposed to Bible teaching, uh, this is a wonderful event. We were getting ready for it. Started looking at it last week. Where is Dave and Kathleen? Oh, Kathleen. There's Dave. We started getting ready last week, and we're really excited about it. But also, it's an opportunity for adults to serve. Serve. Kennedy didn't say this about the church she said it about america i think it's true for america too
1: don't ask what the church can do for you ask what you can do for the church
0: i mean that well kennedy meant it but i mean it for you all we're continuing our study of basic christianity Basic Christianity, basic does not mean simple or easy. In fact, much of Christianity, and especially theology, is not simple and easy. And there is this need today for pastors in the pulpit to explain what Christianity is. Because one of the big mistakes today is that we know what Christianity is. But as we talked about in our Bible fellowship group this morning, there is always a need to define our terms. Two people may be using the same word, but that does not mean that they are using the same dictionary definition. And I would, I would like to think that much of the arguments that happen in our lives, much of the arguments that take place in our country... Much of the arguments that take place in philosophy would simply be wiped away, not all, but met much of the argument, argumentative nature, I mean, if we just sat back and defined our terms. Not everyone who uses the word God uses or is speaking of the God of Scripture, the Holy God the omnipotent God, the omniscient God, the omnibenevolent, immutable, eternal God, Jesus Christ God, Holy Spirit God. People might use the name God and they might be referring to all things. The table is God. This cup of water is God. Everything is part of God. That's called pantheism. Someone might say that they might be talking about God. I remember I was talking to a fellow one day who was telling me that he believed in God just like me. I said, yeah, I said, explain it. He said, well, take a look. And he pointed at a golf club weight. And he said, you see this golf club weight? This is God. I said, you don't believe in God like me. Because it's not the God revealed to us in Scripture. It's also not the God revealed to us in nature. Because material things came after God created them. Well, someone might say, I believe God exists, but I don't believe he cares much about this world. I believe maybe he created the world. Certainly there's a lot of evidence for that. But in so far as his concern and care in the day-to-day stuff, I don't think he really cares. That's called deism, and it's not the God of the Bible. Proverbs 16:33 tells us that the lot is cast, but it's every roll or its every fall depends on God's sovereign choice. Not a sparrow, Jesus said, two sparrows are sold for a penny, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from God's will when Joseph stood before his brothers in Egypt and they repented for how they treated him, Genesis 50, 20, Joseph said to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. So that is certainly not a God who is far removed from from our culture, excuse me, from our modern day, everyday experiences. We believe in the
1: God of the Bible, who is, who was, and who will always be, who revealed himself
0: most fully in the person of Jesus Christ. It is essential, Christians, for our sustainability for our effectiveness and fruitfulness in this country, in this world, for us to define our terms and know why we believe what we say we believe. And that is the purpose of this sermon series. Let's pray.
1: Father, we are here this morning to hear your truth. Your truth is not a different truth. It's not an opinion.
0: It is the truth. It is the explanation of why we are here on this earth, where we came from, where we are going, and why there is anything at all. You, God, define purpose and meaning. And Lord, it is us who have turned away from that. It is my prayer that in these messages, Lord, you will turn our hearts back to your basic truth. Amen. We are still talking about preconditions. We're going to try something a little bit different this morning. So, Chooks, um, I'm going to do like this. Can you see me? I'm going to just do like this, okay, and we're going to move to the next slide, all right? So we're going to be using some slides this morning, so bear with me. Hopefully, it will go smoothly. Let's try it. You failed already. Well, we're going to have to work on this, but nonetheless, I had a really nice PowerPoint for you. Actually, it's Keynote. I'm one of those Apple guys who believes that uh, you should only use Apple, and so I used Apple Keynote. Well, we'll see if it works. Do you, you, you might have to just uh, use your imagination. Nonetheless, I'm gonna enjoy these beautiful screenshots right here. What is the problem? Many of us don't know that there's a problem today with the church. You know, just, just really quick, let me just say one more thing. What goes on up there doesn't matter. What comes out of my mouth matters. All right, so for some I don't know how it happened, but for 3,000 years, people learned to communicate without visual aids. They just talked to one another and people listened. They didn't need to have cartoons on in the back. But nonetheless, I digress. Many of us don't know there's a problem. We don't understand that Christianity has a problem because so much of Christianity has been defined about the self today and not about a community. And so we look at Christianity, it works for me, so I'm fine. And as long as I'm fine, there's not really a problem. But there is a problem today. It's this. Anti-intellectualism, the anti-intellectualism of our culture
1: has crept into the church. This
0: has not always been so. R.C. Sproul says, we live in what may be the most anti-intellectual period in Western civilization. We must have passion, yes, Christians. Indeed, our hearts must be on fire for the things of God. But that passion must resist the intensity of anti-intellectual spirit in the world. J.P. Moreland Christian philosopher at Talbot University says this. Our society has replaced heroes with celebrities. If you don't believe that, just uh, look over at the White House and see what that has become and see who wants to run next.
1: And we're going to vote for them. You get a tax cut. You get a tax cut. You get a tax cut. Our society has
0: replaced heroes with celebrities. Just walk through publics and look at the tabloids. Do you really care about Brangelina? We have replaced the quest for a well-informed character with the search for a flat stomach. Substance and depth with image and personality the problem is not so much with the world whose nature is to desire the things of the flesh do not be in other words do not be surprised when non-christians behave like non-christians one thing we make a big mistake in doing is trying to get non-christians to behave like Christians without the Holy Spirit Listen to me, believer, you can't behave like a Christian without the Holy Spirit. It is going to take the Holy Spirit
1: to help you love the unlovable person. But the world can't behave like Christians because they don't have the Holy Spirit.
0: And the problem here with anti-intellectualism is not necessarily the world, though that is a problem, so much as it is with the church who has given in or capitulated to the demands of the seeker and has given in to the shallow demands of self-improvement. Our people don't even know. I say our people. I mean our brothers and sisters. They don't even know what to look for in a church.
1: The last thing we think about when we move is what church we'll go to. We'll just find one when we get there. Christian, that should be primary. but we go to the churches that have the best coffee.
0: Because what we want more than anything is an experience. We want to come to church and we want to be inspired to do great things. We do want to learn how to get a flat stomach. And by the way, there are some churches that are really good at teaching how to get a flat stomach. You can tell I don't listen to those sermons.
1: But, but you know what I'm talking about, Kristen. I hope you get a flat
0: stomach. I hope you learn how to plan your financial future. I hope you learn how to be a better
1: social justice warrior. But that's not why the church
0: is here. Read the New Testament all preaching in the New Testament was not how to be a better person. How to live your best life now. It was, Jesus has raised from the dead. If you believe on his name, your sins will be forgiven. People are digging out the holes in roofs today Being lowered down to get some kind of physical blessing. Some kind of non-eternal blessing. To learn how to get more money. To name it and claim it. And the first thing that a true church should say is in Christ your sins are forgiven.
1: But the church has
0: given into the world. Well, what are the consequences of abandoning our intellect? Number one, heresy now occupies large parts of the church. Some of you are saying, why is Goofy up there? Because that's how the world perceives us. We're the dum-dums who can't put both of our our legs through our pants. And I am telling you, that has not been historically true for 1,900 years. The first thing that happens is that heresy now occupies large parts of the church's thinking. Number two, we're losing our relevance in the world. We used to go to pastors to find out what the meaning of life was, but now we don't. We read books by Oprah. We read books by our favorite celebrity. But what makes them authorities on meaning in life? The only thing that makes a man or a woman an authority on life is how consistently they interpret the word of God. Not their intellect.
1: The third thing is
0: We are losing our children to false worldviews that will answer their questions even if those answers are
1: wrong. Listen to
0: what Pew Research in a recent article has found were some of the reasons why people have left the church. This is examples of reasons why people are unaffiliated with the church. Here were the things that Pew Research found. Number one, learning about evolution when I went away to college. Church didn't talk about that. They just said believe and they didn't explain it. And when their kids got to college, a professor answered their question about where did we come from. And they answered it well. Too many Christians doing unchristian things, says another person. Another person says religion is the opiate of the people. You know who said that? Karl Marx, the father of Marxism. The philosophy that led to the most violent century in human history, Estimated over 100 million deaths at the hands of Marxist-Leninism. And our kids are abandoning the church for a worldview that is demonstrated a 100 million times. It won't work. But because the Marxists will answer their question, our kids
1: are going to believe them. Lack of any
0: sort of scientific or specific evidence of a creator. I am not a Darwinist, not only because I am a Christian, but because I don't find any reason to be a Darwinist through my own scientific exploration. I'm doing more learning, studying, and a kind of making decisions myself rather than listening to someone else. Here are some other reasons why people dislike organized religion. I see organized religious groups as more divisive than uniting. I think that more harm has been done in the name of religion than in any other area. That's not true. I no longer believe in organized religion. I don't attend services anymore. I just believe that religion is very personal. That's not true. The word church means a gathering of people. The church is a body made up of many members.
1: Others say, I don't have a particular
0: religion because I'm open minded. I find that people who tell me they're open-minded are so close-minded to Christianity. Or, as Dad used to say, and it's so true, they are so open-minded that their brains have fallen out. Right now, I'm learning a kind of spirituality, but I'm not too sure... I know I can pray to God anywhere. My God, this person says, to my God anywhere. I do believe in a higher power, but I don't need a church to do that. Well, tell me this. Is your God even real? You see, I don't believe in my God without reason. The title of this sermon is Rational Christianity. Go on to the next slide, Chukes. Here is my solution. Christians, especially in America, we must reject all forms of irrationality and defend the rational Christian faith.
1: Let me ask you a question this morning. Tell me if you agree
0: with this statement. Christianity is true. Do you agree with that statement?
1: Thank you. Do you
0: agree that Christianity is true? Now, I'm not going to ask you to say it, but I want you to understand that what you have just agreed to has consequences. There are what we call in logic corollaries, not corollaries, corollaries. That's how you really pronounce it. Corollaries. That is things that logically follow based upon the truth of one thing. Next slide. Here are what those things are. The logical consequence of Christianity being true is this. If Christianity is true, and truth is objective, that means it's true for everyone, everywhere, always.
1: If it is absolute, that means it cannot be denied, then Christianity is objective and absolute for everyone. Christianity is
0: true. You said that, didn't you? Therefore, Christianity is objective and absolute for everyone. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said. He said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing that it cannot be is moderately important. Leave here today with this understanding. If what I am saying is true, it's not just true for me. It is true for you. Your mama and your cousin too. Rolling down the strip. Coming up, slamming candle. Y'all don't know. There was an, well, some of you do. It's true for everyone. You need to understand, and listen, I I challenge you. If you don't believe what I'm saying, I want you to come up after the service. I want to talk to you. I want you to understand and grasp this. If what I am saying is true, it's not just true for me, it's true for every one of you. This is not an opinion. Truth is what corresponds to reality, it is what is. I like vanilla ice cream. That's my opinion. But the statement, I like vanilla ice cream, is true for everyone. Everywhere, always. Andrew likes vanilla ice cream. That's true. Whether you like it or not. Because I do. Truth cannot be relative. All truth must be absolute. Now, there are types of relative truth For instance, the statement, Andrew is tall, is relatively true based upon the standard of male height. But Andrew is tall is false if we're comparing my height to redwood trees. But once a standard has been established, all truth is absolute. Understand what we're saying, Kristen. Away with this idea that people can be moderately concerned with Christianity. It's either completely true and infinitely meaningful, or it's false and it doesn't have any bearing on life whatsoever. Next slide. The Christian faith is rational. This is what I want to prove to you this morning. The Christian faith is rational. It cannot be irrational, but not all of it can be rationalized. Let me say that again. The Christian faith is rational. It cannot be irrational, but not all of it can be rationalized. Let me give you an example. When Adam was in the garden, God told Adam, he gave Adam a command. He said, Adam, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then you will die. That statement is called a conditional statement. It has an antecedent and a consequent. The antecedent is what, if it obtains, will naturally produce these results called the consequent. Adam... If you eat of this tree, you will die. The only way for Adam to be held accountable for what he did is that God made Adam
1: rational. Then along came a serpent. And he said this to Adam. He said, Adam. If you eat of that tree, you will not die. Now, we've got two statements. One of them is true.
0: They cannot both be true at the same time. It is impossible that Adam can eat from that tree and live. And eat from that tree and die at the same time. He cannot do both. And you don't see that that's going on because the focus there is not on logic, but it is assumed about all human beings that they are rational. Because of that, we are held accountable. Adam, if you eat, then you die. No, Adam, if you eat, you will not die. And Adam has to make a choice.
1: Adam's dilemma
0: proves to us that God made man rational. R.C. Sproul says... God has endowed his rational creatures with logic so that they might recognize the coherence of his revelation over against the inherent chaos of any worldview that denies him. In other words, you are not going to get off the hook by saying Christianity is irrational because God has made it very clear to you If you obey him, you will
1: live. If you disobey him, you will die. It cannot be simpler than that.
0: He has made you to understand that truth. And too many Sunday mornings in this country, Americans go into churches And do not understand that dilemma. Please, I am pleading with you this morning. If you don't get anything else I say, understand this. Leave here this morning, understand you are either with Christ or without him, but you are not indifferent about him. What he said is not a moderate opinion. It's either true for everyone or it's false for everything. But I also said that not all of Christianity can be rationalized. What do I mean by that? By the word rationalized, I mean explained through reason, logic, or physical evidence. Not everything about Christianity is explainable. God is providentially in control of all things. Everything that happens from the greatest to the least, God is in control. We call that providence. There are times where God acts in extraordinary ways, and we call that extraordinary providence. When Joshua is leading the children of Israel into the promised land, and he needs to get across the Jordan River, upstream, a rock slide dams the water so that they can pass on dry land. Nothing supernatural, at least in the miraculous sense, occurred at that moment. Nothing but really Fortuitous
1: timing. But God was in
0: control. Miracles, however, are those things in Christianity that cannot be rationalized. By that I mean, they are things that cannot be comprehended by reason or science, but they can be apprehended. One of the first Challenges to every Christian's faith in this modern world is the issue of miracles. You don't believe in talking snakes, do you? Do you really believe that some old man put animals on a boat? And that it rained for 40 days and 40 nights and flooded the whole world. Do you really believe some short Jew from Israel walked on water, healed people who were blind and leprous, who were deaf and mute, who were full of demons and outside of their right mind? Do you really believe that that man rose from the dead? We know today, science has shown us, that people don't rise from the dead. Science and experience proves that when you die, you stay dead. That's what your teachers are telling your kids. And they got nothing for them because they don't understand that miracles are apprehensible. That is, I can see it and know what every other person in the Bible knew when they saw it. Oh my gosh, that is not possible. It is the only explanation why red, yellow, black, and white, people from Africa and from Asia and from Europe and from North and South America, white and black, every one of us are here 2,000 years later. If people died and stayed dead, nobody cares. But when they raise to life, it starts a world movement. Listen to me, Christianity did not advance by the sword. Not in any profitable way. I know you hear about the Crusades, but when Christianity advanced by the sword, it always ended up hurting itself. Christianity advanced by the truth. And we're throwing it away today.
1: You've got John And Peter,
0: Peter, who was a coward, who's sitting around a fire, and someone says, aren't you with that man, Jesus? And he says, no, don't don't say that, because he doesn't want to die. To just a couple months later, standing before the Sanhedrin, the men who hold his very fate in their hands, saying, do with us what you will, but as for us, we can only preach the resurrection. What happened? Of all the people who knew whether or not this was true, it was Peter. Peter knew. People don't die for lies that they know the truth about. I don't know if that's good English, but understand what I'm saying. If you know the truth about a statement, you won't die for it if it didn't happen. Peter said, I saw him. Why would Peter die? I like Thomas. Thomas gets it. Thomas has been maligned for a mil- two millennia, but Thomas gets it. I ain't believing until I see the hands in the side. I'm not doing it. And Jesus came to Thomas and said, here, Thomas, put your hand in my womb. Put your hand in my side. Because God does not expect his people to believe an irrational faith.
1: Why is this so important? I want to
0: give you four reasons. Number one, Christianity as a rational faith is important for logic and truth. To say that Christianity is true is to say that Christianity is logical for what is illogical is obviously false. Gordon Clark, a Christian philosopher, said, the laws of logic are the way God thinks. He makes no mistakes, draws no unwarranted conclusions, and constructs no invalid arguments. God is Reason itself. There are three laws of logic. These laws are irrefutable and cannot be broken by anyone, anywhere, ever, even God himself. Someone says, why can't God break these laws? He's God. He can do anything. That's not what we believe. And it is not what the Christian faith has professed for 2,000 years. What the Christian faith has professed for 2,000 years is that God can do anything that is logically possible.
1: God doesn't make round
0: squares. Yes, there are things about God that are beyond finding out with human logic, but do not deduce from that that those things are illogical. You just can't comprehend them. The first law we have to maintain as Christians is the law of non contradiction. That is to say, that a thing cannot be a and not a at the same time, in the same sense, and in the same place. Christian, understand you can't, no man can, no angel can, and God can't because it is essential to his nature that he cannot lie. Can accomplish a contradiction. It cannot be raining outside and not raining outside at the same time, in the same sense, in the same place. That's not possible. You say, why does this matter? It matters because we're buying into the false teaching that we all are feeling our way towards God with our own religion and that all religions are true. Either Jesus raised from the dead and he is the way, the truth, and the only life and no man comes to the Father but by him or he's wrong. All religions can be false, but they cannot all be true. That has become the story of the religious studies department in secular universities. Because they have lost the idea of logic and rationality. The second law of logic is the law of the excluded middle. A thing is either A or not A. There is no in-between. Either God exists or he does not exist. I remember walking to class with a professor one day, professor of Western, I think it was Eastern Civilization. We were walking to class. I remember he's a good-looking man, bald guy, very pensive, young. I thought he was super hip and super cool, you know, because he wore, like, super hip clothes back then. And we're walking and we're talking, and I said, hey, professor, I say, you know, It doesn't make sense. You were saying today that this was true for these people and they believe this and this. And I said, professor, either God exists or God does not exist. That's not not possible. Either he does or he doesn't. And I remember my professor said to me, oh, not necessarily. No, Dr. So-and-so. Necessarily.
1: Necessarily. Necessarily. Necessarily, either he
0: is or he is not. He cannot be and not be. That's not possible. And if Yahweh is real, he's real for you, whether you like it or believe in him or not.
1: The third one is the
0: law of identity. That simply says that a thing is equal to itself. That is to say, That apples are apples and everything that it means to be an apple, that's an apple. But today we've tried to make Jesus a lot of different things so that we can make him palatable to a culture that hates him. Jesus is son of God, Messiah, king of kings and Lord of lords. He is not the great social leader.
1: He is Messiah.
0: You believe on his name. Some people say Jesus was a wise man. He was a wise philosopher. Gandhi certainly believed that. But if Gandhi did not make him savior and receive him as Jesus said because he is equal to himself and what his message was, then Gandhi does not have eternal life. Jesus is either liar, lunatic, or Lord. But you cannot be indifferent about him. Go on to my second point. The second reason why this is important is because of logic and the Bible. The laws of logic govern the Bible, for nowhere does God ever expect us to be irrational about his word. Gordon Clark says this, There is no human logic as contrasted with a divine logic. God and man think the same way, not exactly the same thoughts since man is sinful and God is holy. But both God and man think two plus two equals four and that a A cannot be not A. Both God and Christians believe that only the substitutionary death of Christ can merit a sinner's entrance into heaven. When God said, I am the way, the only way, there is no other way, he meant for you to understand it the way you should understand that as there is no other possible way to heaven. We'll go on. Number three, why is this important? Without God, in whom all reason and understanding are grounded, all meaning and purpose in life are gone. If God does not exist, there is no meaning and purpose to life. Frederick Nietzsche, an atheist, the 19th century, wrote a parable called the Parable of the Madman. Remember that Nietzsche is an atheist. That means that he did not believe God exists. But listen to this story. Have you not heard of that madman who lit a lantern in the bright morning hours And ran to the marketplace and cried incessantly, I seek God, I seek God. As many of those who did not believe in God were standing around just then, he provoked much laughter. Has he got lost? Asked one. Did he lose his way like a child? Asked another. Or is he hiding? Is he afraid of us? It's what Elijah did to the prophets of Baal. He said, just yell louder. Maybe Baal is in the bathroom to mock him. Because Elijah knew Baal's not there for you,
1: he's not there for me.
0: Is he afraid of us? said another. Has he gone on a voyage, emigrated? Thus they yelled and they laughed. The madman jumped into their midst and pierced them with his eyes. "'Whither is God?' he cried. "'I will tell you,' said the madman, "'we have killed him, you and I. "'All of us are his murderers. "'But how did we do this? "'How could we drink up the sea? "'Who gave us the sponge to wipe away the entire horizon?' What were we doing when we unchained this earth from its sun? Whither is it moving now? Whither are we moving now away from all suns? Are we not plunging continually backward and sideward and forward in all directions? Is there still any up or down? Are we not straying as through an infinite nothing? Do we not feel the breath of empty space? Has it not become colder? Is not night continually closing in on us? Do we not need to light lanterns in the morning? Do we hear nothing as yet of the noise of the grave diggers who are burying God? Do we smell nothing as yet of the divine decomposition? Gods do decompose. God is dead, God remains dead, and we have killed him. How shall we comfort ourselves? Asked the madman. The murderers of all murderers. What was holiest and mightiest of all the world has yet owned has bled to death under our knives. Who will wipe this blood off of us? What water is there for us to clean ourselves? What festivals of atonement, what sacred gains shall we have to invent? Is not the greatness of this deed too great for us? Must we ourselves not become gods simply to appear worthy of it? There has never been a greater deed, and whoever is born after us for the sake of this deed, he will belong to a higher history than all history hitherto. Here the madman fell silent and looked again at his listeners and they too were silent and stared at him in astonishment. At last he threw his lantern on the ground and broke it into pieces and went out. I have come too early, he said to them. My time is not yet. This tremendous event is still on its way, still wandering. It has not yet reached the ears of men. Lightning and thunder require time. The light of the stars requires time. Deeds, though done, still require time to be seen and heard. This deed is still more distant from them than most distant stars, and yet they have done it themselves. The madman is Nietzsche, the atheist. Nietzsche has gone into the bastions of intellectualism, And spoken to the men who have claimed that there is no God by science. And he has said, You cannot still live like there is a God. If he doesn't exist, you can't live this way. Whither are we moving now? Where are we going?
1: What is a gender? What is marriage? Do you see?
0: You cannot play the games of being in a theistic world if there isn't a God. The world denies that God exists and they still live like they can base themselves off of his morals. But it will not work. We don't know where we're going anymore. We don't know right from wrong. We are not so sure that a child should be arrested when he beats his teacher.
1: We are not so sure
0: that a person is born male or female. There are over 40 genders now. Nietzsche understands, and I hope you understand, if the God of the Bible is gone, truth and meaning are gone too.
1: Why not kill Jews? Why not kill people we don't like? Who says it's wrong? You? You're not God. Why not sleep with whoever I want whenever I want? We are so foolish in this world. C.S. Lewis said we castrate the gelding, we castrate and
0: bid the geldings be fruitful. We tell our kids when they go to college. The the first night I was there, they literally dumped a box of condoms on the table. And then we wonder why boys are indignant when the girl says no. They've been told, get it whenever you want it.
1: You cannot so quickly
0: rid the world of God And keep truth and meaning. Listen to me, Christian. Do not be an accomplice in the murder of God. Do not be an accomplice in the death of truth. Number four, and finally. This
1: is a big one. Not only is it death
0: of the world as we know it and death of meaning itself. Without God... Eternal death occurs without truth. Truth and salvation are intimately joined in Christ Jesus. Look at John 18.33. John 18.33 as we leave this morning.
1: We're going to stop at 38. Pilate is a man of the world. He's
0: an equal opportunist. The government tells him they'll pay him X amount of dollars to do something. He'll do it. It doesn't matter how many Jews he has to slaughter. Pilate has not gotten there by accident. He is the first soprano, if you will. He's a mob boss. He lives by the principle, you only live once. Get all you can, can all you get, and sit on your can. He is a thug
1: of organized crime. That is the man that Jesus
0: stands before right now. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Now this is a question. Are not you the king of the Jews? It's either true or false. It's either
1: yes or no.
0: Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Pilate doesn't understand why this man's before him. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. They understand each other now. They are talking and communicating on rational grounds. The definition of king is out there and they understand. Kings have kingdoms. Jesus answered, You say that
1: I am a king. In other words, you know. You know, Pilate, what I'm telling you is true.
0: You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world. To bear witness to the truth.
1: What does he mean there by truth? He means
0: what is real. He doesn't mean less than that. It means not only what is real. But what is real for all of us, that his kingdom is there. It is real. And it is coming one day, and he will be coming with it. And we will all see it. He says, I came to bear witness to the truth. To do what? To tell the world, believe Christ. Every living creature. Believe on his name. This is truth. There aren't other truths. This is the one. You want eternal life? You believe in the name of Jesus. Everyone who is of the truth says, Jesus listens to me. If you are of the truth, you listen to Christ. What may I deduce from that? If you don't listen to Christ, you aren't of the truth.
1: And listen to what Pilate said. Pilate said to Jesus, he turned away from him and he said, What is truth? Don't you get it?
0: Pilate's denial of Christ comes at the denial of truth. And in this denial, Pilate proves to himself and to the world, he is not of Christ. Truth and Christ are
1: intimately related. I hope you don't walk away this
0: morning saying, what is truth? See this morning that if you are in Christ, you are in the truth. And if you have the truth, you have Christ. They are intimately related. And go into the world and proclaim that exclusive doctrine. That he is the way.
1: He is the life. He
0: is the truth. Let's pray. Glory to you, Jesus. Today we walk out of this service knowing you are the way, the truth, and the life and that no man comes to the Father but by you. Lord, we are ambassadors of the truth as we speak your word, as we tell of the story of Jesus. Lord, there are no other ways no other truths no other lords no other life apart from you christ and so lord it is my prayer that your word was faithfully preached this morning and that you will change those hearts lord break down any intellectual barriers they may be bring those to the leaders of this church who want to know more about you Bring them to us that we might begin to walk in the way of truth. Amen.